0: Speak, Lord. We your servants are listening. In Christ's name. Amen. amen. Sometimes that's all you need to say. He's like, I didn't know you could pray that short. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to read 2 verses. We'll focus on 2 verses, but we're going to cover the content of the first 14 verses but Hebrews chapter 9 verses 13 and 14 as well. we'll read. So if you will stand with me as you get there. Hebrews chapter 9. We've been talking about our exalted Christ and this morning we see him exalted through his blood. Hebrews 9 verses 13 and 14. This is the word of God and if you let it, it will change your life. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I told you it would change your life. (laughs) You may be seated. Have you ever believed in something so much with all your heart believing in it only to find out that it failed you when you needed it most? I think it was, I don't remember the exact date, but it was January of 1996. I was a 12-year-old, and I believed in something with all my heart. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Pittsburgh Steelers were going to win the Super Bowl that year. I mean, they had to. They were facing off against the Dallas Cowboys. I still hate blue and gray to this day. It was Super Bowl Thirty, first Super Bowl ever in the Phoenix metropolitan area, uh, on campus at Arizona State University, in fact. It was the, I think the... I think the last Super Bowl to be played on a university campus. But here is the team that I believe in with all my heart and soul, all right? And the Steelers had to win. We had the better coach. We had the better team. Our defense, I mean, our defense is, defense is usually good in Pittsburgh. That year, it was really good. I mean, they were, there were flashbacks back to the 70s with mean Joan green and the Blitzburg uh, defense and all that kind of stuff the steel curtain, and and, I mean, we had the team that year. If it hadn't been for those Cowboys, I knew, I knew they were going to win. And I was telling all of my friends in school that I knew they were going to win. I cried myself to sleep that night, y'all. They didn't win. (laughs) I'm sitting there with my dad's Franco Harris jersey on, my terrible towel in hand, rooting as hard as I can, doing all the right motions, believing with complete sincerity, and it still wasn't enough. Just because you believe in something, even with all your heart, and just because you do all the right things doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work. Take, for example, the old code. The writer of Hebrews shows us a fatal flaw in the old covenant. Now, there were a lot of people that had gotten away from the sincerity of belief, that they were going through the motions and they were just offering the sacrifices because it's what you had to do. And there were a lot of people that may have believed in it, but they weren't really holding it up. They were living all kinds of bad lives, (laughs) doing all kinds of wicked things they shouldn't be doing. But I believe there are some sincere, devout Jews who sincerely are trusting in God to save them by the rituals in the temple, by by the sacrifices of bulls and goats and lambs and sheep and turtle doves and pigeons and everything else, that are firmly believing that this is the way of salvation, doing these things and believing in their heart would be enough to save them, enough to make them right with God. But the fatal flaw of the old covenant is that the old covenant could only cleanse the external. It could only cleanse the external. It could only do what the outside, it could only deal with the outside. It couldn't deal with the inside. It couldn't deal with the heart. It could only deal with the flesh, with the body, with the skin. It it could only get skin deep. He designed this covenant as a means of cleansing. Verses one to five of this chapter describe the tent, the tabernacle, you enter into the tabernacle and there's this giant bronze altar and you see these various things. There's this place where priests wash their hands. You go in through the tent. If you're a priest, you go in through the tent and and you get into the holy place where there's more types of furniture. There's the showbread. The bread that's laid out, 12 loaves, one for each tribe of Israel. You would see it there. You would see the altar of incense. You would see various parts of this. And as you walk in to the most holy place, the holy of holies, there before you is the very throne of God on earth, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, pure gold on top of this acacia wood chest with two cherubims touching their wings overhead, overshadowing this box. Inside is the manna that God fed your fathers through the desert, the Aaron, the staff of Aaron that budded, that turned into a snake and ate the Egyptians, uh, magicians' staffs. Inside was the very, very basis of your law, two tablets of stone inscribed by the hand of God with the Ten Commandments. When people of ancient Israel thought of religion, those are the pictures that came into their minds. This was the center of all religious activity in ancient Israel. And even in Jesus's day, you see this is the center. There are synagogues in different places But all of them, all of them are designed to draw people's hearts toward that temple, toward that sitting place of God, toward that place where God's spirit would come down and rest and dwell among his people. And then you add in all all the services that they did, all of the sacrifices, all of the incense. What you get is a system of cleansing. And that high priest went in to the Holy of Holies once a year and he sprinkled the blood he was attempting to make atonement for himself and for his people. But verse 8. By this by, by this action, of this 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 attempting to make atonement year after year after year by this the holy spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet open. Only the high priest only once a year. It's not wide open there is a veil that separates the people from their god. As long as that first section is standing, as long as it remains this way, there is no access for the people of God directly into his presence. There is something standing in the way. And this, by the way, is representative of the here and now. Before Christ's sacrifice, we are alienated from God. Now, according to this arrangement, he continues, gifts and sacrifices are offered, watch this, that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Did you catch it? All these offerings, all these sacrifices are incapable of dealing with the root problem. They only dealt with the body. Verse 10, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. The question in times past often would have dealt with the people's sincerity. Not so much with the works that they were doing, but are they really sincere? Uh, Do they really believe this stuff? Prophets like Malachi lamented the dishonorable practices. You know what they would do? In Malachi's day, they would bring blind lambs for sacrifice to God. They would bring lame animals for sacrifice to God. Crippled, sick animals. It's so bad, look what God says. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle a fire on my altar in vain. I wish you would just shut the whole thing down. I have no pleasure in you. In another point, he says, try offering that to your governor. See what he says. You see, the problem there was they were not sincere. The problem there is they weren't taking it seriously. The problem there is they looked at this as a way to get rid of the stuff they didn't want. God was the cosmic goodwill and the clothes that don't fit anymore go to him. The lamb that's crippled that I don't want to have to take care of, that's too much of a struggle for me, goes to God instead of going to me and me giving God my best. You following me here? You tracking with me? That's not the problem that the writer of Hebrews is seeing. The problem with the, that the writer of Hebrews sees is not a lack of genuine sincerity. Think about it. You see it in the Gospels. Zacharias and Elizabeth, sincere followers of God. Mary and Joseph, sincere followers of God. They bring baby Jesus into the temple and there's this old man named Simeon, sincere follower of God. Who even says, now I can die because you've shown me your salvation. Anna, prophetess, sincere follower of God. She, she takes the baby and she's like, Hey y'all, come here, come here, look, look at this baby. This is the one. She's she's spreading the news. So much for it, my time has not yet come, huh? <laughs> See, there wasn't there wasn't there was no, it wasn't that there was no sincerity. There was sincerity. You you hear Peter make a sincere statement. Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And they're like, well, you know, some say you're just some say you're John Baptist, some say you're this, that, whatever. Who do you say that I am? Peter says, the Christ of God. That's sincere. There, many Jews were earnest in their faith. Many of us are earnest in our faith. The problem comes when we're not earnestly believing in the right thing. You see, it's not just faith that must be sincere. It must be placed in the right thing. And much of the problem that the writer of Hebrews sees is that they are putting their faith in the works that they're doing. They're putting their faith in the sacrifices that are offered. They're putting their faith in the incense that's burning. They're putting their faith in the actions of the priest. That just because it's done, therefore it's effective. Just because I believe and I do this thing, that's all it takes. It's all within our power. Just because I come to church and I put money in the offering plate and I'm there every time the doors are open that I can get there. And just because I do these good works and just because I give to these charities and just because I do all these wonderful things, just because I I do all this stuff means that I am a child of God. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. If you're putting your faith in the things that you do, You're putting your faith in the wrong place. I have a feeling many of them are putting their faith in the works that God has commanded and not just in the God who has made the command. It's a a serious trap because it's so easy. It's so easy to trust in what you see. The system was never designed to deal with the root of sin. If, If it was just behavior... If our problem was only what we did, well, we could change that, right? Counselors will, if you've got anger issues, counselors will tell you to wear a rubber band on your wrist. And every time you get angry, you pop yourself with it. You can train yourself with a rubber band. You can train yourself not to get so angry. I'll tell you, if you smile more, you'll be happier. Just the physical action of smiling makes you happier. If that was our problem, then we could learn some self-help techniques and we could be the right kind of people. If that was all the problem was. If our problem was like dirt on our arm, just right on the surface, well, go take a bath. Right? I'll take care of that and actually use soap and water. Not that I'm speaking to any of my three boys in particular. (laughs) If the problem was our attitudes, we could learn techniques to have better attitudes. A little bit harder to do, but you could still do it. If our problem was only external, the old covenant would work just fine. Because the old covenant was perfectly suited to deal with the external problems, but it couldn't get to the root of sin. You see, sin does more than just make us do bad things, have bad attitudes, get us dirty Sin is a disease of the soul. Yeah. And if if we're going to take care of that problem, we can't just cover over the symptoms. We got to get the disease out. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. You know, corrupt means filthy to the core. They are. They do abomin- abominable things. Excuse me, not abominable abominable things there is none who does good the lord looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if there are any who understand any who seek after god they have all turned aside together they have become corrupt there is none who does good not even one even in the days of noah god found one not so bad he can't even find one. (laughs) Paul, from this and other psalms, draws the conclusion in Romans 3.20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The old covenant brings us to a realization that we are sinners who are in danger of eternal separation from God, It forces us to look in the mirror and see the devastating effects of sins in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives. It wrenches our stomachs with the agony of knowing just how wicked we have become. The Old Covenant can't fix any of that. Verse 10 leaves us hopeless, leaves us destitute. By the end of verse 10, we're nothing but spiritual corpses. But, isn't that great word? Have you ever thought about how important, how life-changing the word but is? The Old Covenant could only cleanse the external. Christ purifies the internal. Watch it play out. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, they've come because of him. Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. We talked about Christ last week being the superior high priest, entering the superior temple with a superior sacrifice. The author of Hebrews wants to drive this home. You see, they have been putting their trust in a former system, in a system that that the sacrifices weren't enough, in a temple that was just a copy, just a shadow. But in Christ, we have a superior sacrifice made in a superior temple by a superior high priest, one that doesn't have to sacrifice for his own sins first because he's without sin. He really wants us to know, to realize that the only place that is legitimate for our faith, the only way that we can trust and have complete certainty and assurance is by trusting directly in Christ and not in the old way of doing things because the old way was never enough. It was, well, it was a band-aid. Christ is the solution. He brings a new covenant And he secures that new covenant with the sacrifice that he makes willingly. I seem to remember Jesus talking about doing that. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. bulls and the goats and and the lambs and all the other sacrifices, they didn't jump on that altar willingly. No, they, they had to be put there. They had to be held down. Trust me, it wasn't, it wasn't willingly. But this lamb of God, he lays it down on purpose. He says, I give my life. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Spoiler alert for next week this charge I have received from my father. We have the good shepherd who willingly lays down his life for the sheep because he loves the sheep and he cares for the sheep because they're his sheep. Jesus offers himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, and he's the only one that could have. Daryl made the point the other night, he's heard people say things like, Jesus died on the cross in my place, took my place, no, I couldn't have taken that place. I couldn't have died for my sins and made, made atonement for them. I needed atonement. Christ is the only one who could have done that. The bulls and the goats and the lambs, they, they can't do that. All they can do is cleanse the external. But Christ cleans from the inside out. He brings purity. Only Jesus could be the sacrifice that could meet God's standard of justice and of love. So we come back to verses 13 and 14, what we read earlier, and it's an argument. There's a a form of logical argument where you go from the inferior and you argue toward the superior. You start with the smaller, detailed uh, uh, argument, and then you say, if it's true in this case, then how much more true is it in this more general, greater example? It's exactly what he does. Verse 13, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. If all these things will purify the body, how much more does Christ purify us? How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience. The old system was great at the outside. It was perfectly designed for ritual purity. But the blood of Christ brings complete purity from within. Purity that softens our conscience to God's voice. Purity that engages us in God's service. The old covenant could never dream of doing that. So are you putting your faith in an old way of doing things? I know it seems silly, but some people put their faith in the hymn books in front of you. Some people put their faith in the external things, the works that they do, the times that they're in church. They put their faith in all of the things that they can muster. They put their faith in having the right kind of attitude, of being nice to other people. Kindness has become a false god they put their faith in so many different things. Some of them put their faith in certain beliefs that I believe this, so I know I'm good. I trust in that, so I know I'm all right. Even sincere belief isn't enough. Even with perfect works, it's not enough if it's in the wrong thing. If we are going to put our faith anywhere that is secure, it must be in Christ and in nothing else. We can't trust in those who have gone before us. We can't trust in the things that we do. We can't trust in the thoughts in our heads, the intentions of our heart. We can't trust in what society chases after. We can only trust in Christ. Otherwise, what we trust in will fail. Father, the way of salvation is through your son and it's nowhere else. (coughs) Lord, forgive us when we don't follow you when we don't trust you forgive us when we put our own false gods in the way forgive us when we insist on sitting on the throne of our heart instead of instead of putting you there help us to have complete faith in you and in you alone our perfect passover sacrifice our illuminating light your spirit dwelling in us our blessed heavenly father who brings all these things for his glory. Move us to the center of your will. Help us trust you. Amen.